All right, you're rolling. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Screenwriting Podcast number 25. I am recording tonight live from the Batcave. This is where the magic happens. Um, it's the Chat Cave. Oh, the Chat Cave? We're not associated with DC Comics in any way. And all, <laughs> all references herein or resemblances to actual human persons, real or fictitious, is entirely coincidental. I'm here with uh, Jeff Sussman, the host of The Bat Signal, which is a fun podcast that I've been on a couple of times and talked a lot about box office and how it operates with those superhero movies. So it is good to have him on today's episode. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about Dexter, and we're both fans of the series. I know I'm a fan. You're a fan of the series, correct? He's kind of a superhero. Yeah, I am. And that's not why I'm a fan, but I I am a fan. And he is kind of a super. in a way, he's kind of a superhero, no? Uh, well, your average person can't couldn't yeah, do those things. I I could go along with that because he he sort of finds interesting ways to get himself out of tough situations. And I mean, is he a superhero? I'd have to I'd have to think about that and research that a little bit more. But if it makes you feel better to think that, then I don't know if I could physically or you know that kind of emotional detachment and kind of is. I mean, I'm not going to get all theoretical like that, but that's not where I wanted to go. But he's. Well, the reason I mentioned the chat cave, by the way, is because you may notice that the audio quality, we're completely spoiling the audience today by A, having great uh, sound, and secondly, to have an actual uh, radio uh, entertainment personality here, because let's face it, that's not really my forte. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of your listeners would disagree. You have a, you have a certain thing. You could have, be you, a, have you even listened to my podcast? You have can, you ever listened to my podcast? I, be honest, right here. I have not. No, I have not listened to it. <laughs> and, you know, the, unfortunately, the people here cannot see that you almost, I just can't almost lie to you. went with the lie. You I just, almost went with I the lie. I can't lie to you. I've known you for too long. <laughs> you almost went with the lie, though. You Don't hate me, because if we were all... I don't, because I didn't, ex- I didn't expect it. When the, I asked you tw- 20 episodes ago, have you listened to a single episode? The, you said you would get to it, and I knew that you wouldn't. The funny thing is that Off no the Air... Feelings. Off the Air would have had no problem lying to you right there. You just made me <laughs> lie to you in front of America. And uh, we're wow. you know, international, I think. No, but people listen all of, over the world to this one. Yeah, I'm big in Ireland. Apparently, we they like us. For you. They, they like us over there. I don't know yeah. if it's me. No, I mean Batman. Batman's big, so mm-hmm. we we keep the topic tight. But so Got it. Dexter. So we're going to talk Dexter. I, I real quickly want to mention yeah. a couple of other things. One, I saw Evil Dead this week. Did you see that? The remake. Yeah, the I did remake. see it. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Okay having been a huge Drag Me to Hell fan, and for people who are sort of new to the podcast, you should go back and listen to the breakdown I did of Drag Me to Hell. You should also see the film. Because Drag Me to Hell was, you know, Evil Dead uh, was made in 1982, and it was a film that really burst Sam Raimi onto the scene as this great, young, up-and-coming filmmaker. And so much of independent comedic horror has spawn, spawned directly from what Evil Dead was. Um, so when he came back after the Spider-Man trilogy to do Drag Me to Hell, it was a return to form. It was one of the great, huge directors who's interested with $250 million budgets coming back to his home genre, and he knocked it out of the park. I still think Drag Me to Hell is an amazing movie, and it really just builds. It's the same idea. It's I the same it. idea of a curse on the loose, where it, you know, there's even visual uh, motifs that are similar with the book and with. Wouldn't the, you say it's the yeah? It's, it's maybe the same motif, but it's execution based because Drag Me to Hell is fresh and. Well, it's also just a lot more complicated. It has a lot more going on in it, and it's a I, the Evil Dead remake. I I didn't you didn't like it. I didn't like it. 
Let, let, me, let me put it like this. There was a lot that I admired. I feel like the director came with a full bag of tricks, and all those tricks were played approximately 35 to 40 minutes into the movie. Um, the movie just doesn't have any place to go. You're stuck with these kids in a cabin. They don't do a good job explaining the rules of what this curse is and how it operates. So, like, the curse gets into one girl, but we're not quite sure. We see the cursor, we see this camera shot just zoom into her, and then it's not clear is it in her or not, but then a snake Well, hang comes. on. You're talking like you didn't like... You're not, either not a fan of the original or have you not seen the original Evil Dead? I haven't. I have not seen the original. I Evil knew Dead. you were going to say that. That's part of what is scary and disorienting about the way about Raimi's original vision is that it's it's disorienting that you you don't really know what's going on. It is very abstract. And if you watch the sequel Evil Dead Two, mm-hmm. it's very weird. I'd love to hear what you would think about this because I know everybody knows what I'm talking. Maybe about. Maybe I'll see it. Maybe I'll it's see it. not a sequel. It's. But it's not a remake, but it's essentially the same movie beat for beat, but not in a Final Destination way. It's almost like, hey, we got more money. Let's just kind of do it again, but like a little better and a little dip. It was weird. I've never you seen it. You know what? Like I, I would love to talk about the differences to see if, because it might actually even undermine even more my feelings about the, the remake. They're, um, they're, it's much fresher. It has a, just a raw energy and genuinely yeah, scared me. It was a $350,000 movie as opposed yeah. to a studio product that was created because they knew that people would buy tickets to see Evil Dead on opening weekend. Yeah, and, and um, people that is, this new one is it's Bruce and, Campbell. It's Bruce Campbell and Sam and Ted Raimi and all those guys. It's their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what I really had a problem with was that we the characters don't have any place to go, and there's no place for the story to develop. So besides for this curse, which is really ambiguous, and we don't quite understand how it operates, we then deal with the fact that. Um, One of the characters doesn't quite believe that a curse is going on. And that's something that's really interesting that I'll tie in a minute into toys, which I'll talk about in a sec. Um, Yeah. Um, You mean the movie, right? The movie toys. You're not talking about like Batman toys? No, no, no. Okay. My listeners, go go take a leak. Okay. Um, (laughs) But uh, the the problem is that you clearly have supernatural goings on happening and you have a character who has no other plot choice but to keep denying it because otherwise he's got to do something about it and he doesn't have anything to do yet in the story. Um, and that goes on, you know, it was really important to me like to look and it was like minute 41 where they're finally like figuring out that this might be a supernatural occurrence that is that is happening, that, that his sister's symptoms are not just the result of drug withdrawal, that perhaps something supernatural is happening, maybe a demon's gotten into her. And then he continues to even deny it after that. And it's only like an 88-minute movie. You just... Yeah. You, and, and that's... Well, but they're not really going anywhere with it anyway. It's just they're all possessed and they're, they're all dying. The but there's, it's, it's a, as you would say, execution-based. And yeah. uh, you have to... But, just, but again, to me, all the execution happened in the first half of the movie. Oh, in the remake, for sure. The oh, the pacing is all off. And We're not talking about nothing. the... We're not talking about the original I, Dead here. But it's a it's like a direct remake, though. Well, so, I wouldn't be able to speak to that right now, would I? I just think it'd be... I, I actually agree with everything you're saying, but I think it'd be interesting to see what you thought comparing... Well, maybe I will. Maybe I will take a look at that. But what I can recommend to the audience, though, is to... Uh, go back and listen to my podcast on uh, Drag Me to Hell. I break down the first half hour of it, and I I don't know, you know, like to do that for something like this, this remake would be pointless, I think. Um, it's just not very well done, whereas Drag Me to Hell is. Moving on to Toys real quickly, because that was another movie. A lot of people on this podcast know that I talk about How Did This Get Made, which is my favorite podcast, other than Savage Love, where I met Dan Savage recently, which was <laughs> awesome to meet, like my favorite podcaster. Did but, you guys get a selfie? Uh, yeah, we did. I'm going to put it up on Twitter. I had a crazy week, but yes, I have a, a picture with Dan. <laughs> and um, on How Did This Get Made, they talked about toys and How Did This Get Made is a podcast all about like 
ridiculous movies. I even wrote an article about the different types of movies they do, where sometimes it's just completely incompetent, low-budget films. Sometimes it's big star pieces that just, you know, studio pieces that went awry. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes they're movies with just crazy ideas, like The Devil's Advocate, for example, which is a movie that is not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's just fucking nuts. Um, <laughs> and so they have, like, all these categories, which I wrote about on my website. But um, they did toys, and Paul Shear, the host, said this represents toys represents exactly why we're doing this podcast because we've never had a film that so clearly has no idea what it wants to be. And for those of you who don't know, Toys is a movie that was done in 1991 or no 1992 because it was after Bugsy, which is one of the greatest films I love Bugsy. ever. We I think st- I saw Bugsy uh, we, with you. Yeah, we saw Bugsy with, together. Like my dad. Yeah, your dad just took a night with the boys. We'll see Bugsy. Yeah, uh, Barry Levinson is a a great director who was on a streak with Good Morning Vietnam. The uh, Bay. (laughs) I just saw the the Bay. If anybody hasn't seen the Bay, it's this horror flick. Hey, Happy Halloween, by the way, everybody. The Bay is on. uh, It's it's on Netflix streaming, and it's a low budget found footage movie from the director of Rain Man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. Um, Toys is this movie. He he had won the Oscar for Rain Man. He did Bugsy, which delivered, even though it sort of underperformed at the box office. There's nobody who did, you know, won Best Picture at the Golden Globes. There's nobody who could ever suggest that Bugsy is not a an amazing movie. Um, and then he sort of cashed in his his success by saying, "I want to make Toys." Toys was a script that was beloved in Hollywood. Apparently, people wrote articles of putting it on list of the top ten unproduced scripts, and it sat around for. 10 years and it finally got made and it's about Robin Williams plays lives in almost like a Willy Wonka type factory except they make toys there and his father owns the factory and when his father dies he knows that Robin Williams is just not mature enough to take over so he asks his brother who's a general in the United States military to come and run the company and then hopefully maybe at some point Robin Williams will be able to take over take over after his brother's death um so we have this general moving into this toy factory now as the CEO or whatever. And it's the movie's insane, by the way. It has the most amazing, beautiful production design. Um, but what, what doesn't work about it is that the general has this amazing idea, which watching it 20 years later, the cool thing is that it actually works. The, the general has this idea, we're going to make war toys. We're going to make drones. Does the production design really hold up today? Oh, the production design does, yeah. But the uh, the the general has this idea that we're going to make drones and hire little kids to fly them because why spend half a billion dollars on a plane when you can make a thousand planes for five thousand dollars a piece and have kids, you know, remote controlling them via video game? I mean, it's really it was sort of an idea that was ahead of its time. The problem is that the, he's not the hero of the movie. The hero of the movie is Robin Williams. Robin Williams is. It just, wow, does this character not work? Because the character is like half man-child where he's really irresponsible and and then he's also Robin Williams, the cra- wild and crazy guy doing Robin Williams shtick sometimes. And the two don't meet. And it becomes even more pronounced because they then team him up with a love interest played by Robin Wright. And this was a really interesting thing that one of my filmmaking teachers talked about being behind the beat or before the beat. That actors—that's a music term, by the way. Okay, um, it, it also can 
relate to how you look at an actor. And there's some actors who are sort of aggressive. Um, Vince Vaughn's an example of that. Ahead of the beat. Yeah, Robin Williams, for example, ahead of the beat. Just somebody who's really sort of trying to control things. And then there's the the actors that are more introspective. Um, I think the perfect example of that would be like Jennifer Connelly, where (laughs) it's almost all like she's just No, she's just vacuous. No, I would not. Don't go there. Don't go there. You love Jennifer Connelly. Well, no, no, no. She's she's really an amazing actress. And for those who are listening, Stuck in Love is going to be on DVD probably by the time you listen to this. It's an amazing movie, and Jennifer Connelly's fucking great in it. And maybe hated her in a beautiful mind. And by the way, by the way, there's plenty of reasons to hate a beautiful mind that has nothing to do with her. I'll give you that. Um, By the way, I find it totally believable that Robin Williams would live in a Willy Wonka style factory. Yeah, but it wasn't even his choice. He just grew up there. Right. Yeah, what's interesting about that? But a couple of things <laughs> that we can learn from this. One, uh, don't hey, don't cast... Robin Wright is like, she's a wonderful actress, but she's not a comic improv improvisator and, uh, or improviser. Yeah, there we go. Improviser. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, this role called for somebody like a Kristen Wiig, or here's the other option that a screenwriter could have handled, because I try not to talk about performance too much. Um, a screen, you know, if Robin Williams is so before the beat and so aggressive, then he, we could have had a character that he falls in love with who needs to be drawn out of her shell. But instead, she just comes across like a mental patient, which most of the characters in this movie do. This is not, you know, sort of analyzing her performance as much as just a bad script choice. Um, and then we have these terrible scenes where they're courting each other and then they have sex. This movie is not like for kids at all, even though it's called Toys. Um, and here's, we're going to wrap it up on toys in a sec, but, uh, the, the things that I w- noticed were that the movie's really slow to get going. And we talked a little bit about how that works in Evil Dead, where they don't catch on fast enough about the supernatural. Um, you need to sort of get to it. You need to throw down. It's, it's too, if you have a situation in a movie that a character needs, you can hint at it for a little bit, but finally you need to jump on it. And we're one hour into the movie Toys. And Robin Williams, his, and, and by the way, his uncle is now turning his toy factory into a war toy factory and doing it in secret. And Robin Williams, one hour into this movie, says, I think he's up to something. And then he goes and investigates in a completely ridiculous way, but he investigates and he sees what's going on. And then he says, maybe I'll talk to him about it tomorrow. Like he can't man up and sort of confront his uncle he still can't even do that after he's seen what's going on and the movie goes on for like another hour and then when he finally does confront his uncle his uncle has a reason for everything that he's seen and said give me two weeks and then i'll let you look at everything and so forth so you have basically the expanded time frame and for screenwriters especially new writers you want to keep that the time frame of your movie as tight as possible you don't want characters to say we'll come back in two weeks and mean it (laughs) um you don't want you, you don't want characters to sort of kind of be figuring out what's going on halfway through your movie you want to sort of just put the elements together and blow that shit up my favorite example of a scene like that came from a movie called cyrus i looked for a good youtube clip of it online i couldn't find it um but the movie stars jonah hill and uh we're supposed to be talking about dexter in any case I'll finish up the Cyrus story. So Jonah Hill is way too close to his mom, Marissa Tomei, and Marissa Tomei starts dating John C. Riley. And there's a scene where she brings her new boyfriend home for dinner. And the whole premise of this scene is the discomfort of, like, are you fucking my mother? Are you, like, what's going on here? Right. Like, and unfortunately, or fortunately, this scene nails it because... 
you think they're just going to dance around this. You, th- you know, Cyrus, the, the boy even asked, and he's not a boy. He's like 22 or 23. He asks, like, are you staying over? You know, and we think they're going to dance around this, are you having sex with my mom thing? And finally, John C. Riley just turns to him and says, yes, I am having a sexual relationship with your mother. And poof, blows it all up. And, and it was such a great moment because I didn't know what was going to happen next. Now, I didn't know that, where the doesn't scene it matter? was going to go. Isn't it sometimes worth having some characters that people you know don't catch on right away, and sometimes they pay for it, or sometimes they're just the last to believe, like in Poltergeist. You know, you need like the, who is it that needs to know right away? Our, our hero, because it's always worth having a character or two that's slow to the take, especially in ghost movies and stuff. Not everybody can just all six people involved are just like, well, th- we have ghosts. You I know, th- I, I get that, but I think that there needs to be. I think if you look at a movie like Sinister, there's sort of an understanding of... Sinister. I think there's something <laughs> that where there's an awareness that that's predates what you might have seen had the movie been done 20 years ago. Because writers today, more than anything, have a responsibility to throw out these fucking Sid Field books that are based on movies that didn't really get going until 30 minutes in. Movies from 20 years ago would just circle around like... Airplanes waiting to land until the Sister. end of Act One. Can you stop doing that, please? Do that on your own podcast. Anyway, okay. So we're going to talk now about Sinister. I hate Sinister. Oh, uh, the first up announcements. Uh, by the way, my book Starter Screenplay. You can still download it at Amazon.com uh, for your Kindle or other e-reader, or you can buy it from me at thestarterscreenplay.com. Uh, 1995 with free shipping. Do you know that my mom says this is one of the greatest screenwriting books ever written? <laughs> <laughs> and I personally sign it to to the many, many listeners who've bought it from me. Uh, free shipping into the United States. And I know his mom, so yeah. I can vouch that she she's, a real, per- that she's she a real person and that Adam didn't make up. Like if you made up your own review, but you, you made it your mom. No, she said it was the greatest screenwriting book she has ever read. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. She's a nice lady. Thank and you. it's a nice book. Thank you. Thank you. It's just the right length. The font is really... We don't have to talk about the font. Well chosen. Okay. Um, so hey, now we're going to had me here. Huh? Well, technically I came to you. We're in the chat cave. We are. In, we are. Oh, that's right. <laughs> chat cave West. Uh, so, all right, let's talk. By the way, I hope you're, I'm sorry you ruined your clothes swimming to the secret entrance. <laughs> <laughs> Should have told you to wear your trunks. <clears throat> Dexter, I'm actually buddy. wearing a leopard print speedo. De- Dexter, buddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we watched the series finale of Dexter. We waited a week to talk about it. Because we wanted to let it settle in, and I, I think it's fair to say that we were both incredibly disappointed, as was seemingly the rest of every critic and the person that I was able to come across on the internet. Um, Major letdown. Normal. I, I, it's like at first I didn't love it, then I, for a second I thought maybe I liked it, and then just it get, now it just gets worse and worse, and I just I hate it. Why don't we back up a second just to talk Dexter history a little bit, and then we'll get into what we thought about this last season. Yeah. Um, it's anti-hero time between Walter White, Dexter, is, you know. And by the way, we, we should say that we are waiting. We have Breaking Bad, the the series finale, waiting to go. Uh, as soon as we finish with this, we're going to be watching that and then talking about it after. We're going to record directly after. So if you are listening to both of these episodes, you can see what the difference is with, uh, with sort of one having some time to let it settle and the other one we're just going to go in just raw. It's going to be... I was afraid to talk about... <clears throat> Excuse me. I was afraid to talk about The Dark Knight Rises right after. Not because I was afraid of saying the wrong thing, but I really didn't know what I thought about it right away after all that anticipation. So I think it's interesting because Breaking Bad, we're going to be, no matter what happens, we're going to be hot right off of that. But Yeah. So let's talk Dexter. Okay. Did you watch Dexter from the beginning? I or? did. Oh. Although I did catch up. After, it was season two had already, when season two hit cable, 
Mm-hmm. I watched both seasons in a row. Oh, so this isn't like a Johnny Come Lately thing. Like I was with Breaking Bad. I didn't start in Breaking Bad. Until no, no, no. I've been I've I've been a fan for a long time. Although I just you know it hasn't been the same since season four. Yeah, there's been had moments. I mean, to me, the greatest moment that I saw in Dexter was the opener of the second season where all the bodies came up. Because I was like, holy shit. Like, to me, it was just rep- so representative. Blow of what up was, the world. Yeah, blow up the world. Um, it was so representative of what was happening in cable TV shows where they were willing to do that as, as opposed to just dragging it out until the show was verging on cancellation and then they'd pull a rabbit out of a hat like that. The writing was brilliant then because usually in television, you, you can't blow up the main thing like that so drastically or you kind of end the show like mm-hmm. they had to have a very specific place to go with it and they did season two is great it's not quite as good as season one but season two was great yeah um and what was season three again that was jim That's, smith's yeah the jimmy smith's the Where, nypd uh, dexter what do you mean <laughs> remember who's on nypd blue I'm not a Jimmy Smith's fan. You, you know, you know Jimmy Smith was on NYPD Blue. That is correct. He took over. Uh, I thought Seems was, like a nice guy. I'd rather have dinner. You know, you talk, know what? I, talk he about was the great on the West Wing, and I would totally vote for him. He's likable. He for, for he's likable for sure. Is he? If he was running for president in real life, you'd vote for him. Very possibly. President Smiths. He seems like a good guy. Commander in chief. He on the West Wing. He definitely had the. I'm, you know what? It's not that I don't like Jimmy Smith. Let me just Jimmy. Sorry, buddy. I'm just. You're you know, just really willing to. Trash talk people. My God, that doesn't happen on the official screenwriting podcast. We've already thrown Jennifer Connelly and Jimmy Smith under the bus. I'm not a fan of Jennifer Connelly's acting. I mean, I, I've seen her perform well. I, she could say, fuck you, Jeff. I mean, go ahead. You I'm going to have you. Okay, I'll watch. What do I What, what movies am I in? <laughs> like, you know, I'm not, you know. I will watch Evil Dead. You will watch Stuck in Love. Uh, and then, which is a great movie. I realize I she has some it. talent or she, you know. Not only that, she gave some great script notes to my friend who wrote and directed She's the beautiful, movie. I'll tell you that. Some of the best moments in Have that Have you seen her in Hulk? Hulk? I mean, Hulk, don't, and Hulk is, it does it has some redeeming things about it, but she's a, oh, she's terrible in Hulk. Can we just get back to Dexter? <laughs> We're still on deck. This is Doc. This is Dexter. Okay, so I was on season two. Go ahead. So I think we agree that season four with John Lithgow is the best season, or season one. Season four had the best end of a season, but it wasn't just the ending of the. It wasn't just sort of that huge twist. It was the. It was that. We it's like had, Rocky. One, four, two, three. <laughs> No, but I, I think why I would sort of, why I elevate that season is because the character really didn't know much about himself. And I have some quotes here about the finale, which we'll get to, where they talk about that a little bit. The character didn't know quite what he was and hadn't really, he was sort of in stasis at the beginning of this series. I made it, can I just say, I'll tell you right now that that's why I like season one the best is it's still the whole show. See, John Lithgow is scary in season four. He's scary, but the show by that point had lost its scary tone. The first season was creepy, like not just Dexter. The, when he just like brings the donuts, the fact that he is kind of checked out and like not fully connected with what's going on yet. Not only is he creepy, but the whole show had a creepy tone that the slower music was favored to the more upbeat stuff, less of like the waka waka moments with like Quinn and you know. Okay, well, it was darker and scarier. I can't argue that. What I can suggest is that the character of Dexter was so much more developed. And here was the first person that he met who had what he thought of as a potential life. Because he he saw a family man 
who also was running around as a serial killer. And, you know, that's what Dexter was experiencing in his own life because his girlfriend at the time was pregnant or had had the baby by then. So he was becoming a family man himself and looking for sort of a role model in that, which is why he didn't kill off John Lithgow's character when he had the opportunity he wanted to learn from him. But he's consistent and he consistently paid in the series when he decided not to kill people for other reasons. And then it always bites him in the ass. I mean, could have killed Saxon and Saxon killed Deb. Well, Dexter killed dead, but... You're getting ahead of yourself. So, in <laughs> in the in that season, we had Dexter really struggling with what it is that he was becoming and transforming into. And I think that that's what made... And you have the best villain of all, of all the seasons. Yes, that, um, I'll say that. Although, I, you know what, though, story-wise, isn't his own... Discovering that the other killer that's out there challenging him for the first time, the first time he's had to step up and challenge another serial killer, and then it unwinds that it's his brother and it's direct. Which to me was a little too on the nose. Like it was that to me wasn't like a great. Why they were in the they were in the locker together? It's logical. I'm not saying that I had a huge issue with it. Oh, it was so creepy the way that. Dexter likes everything messy. He has to put plastic up because he just wants to, you know, his obsession, his fetish is blood spatter. He wants Mm -hmm. to see it everywhere. Rudy freezes the bot drains the blood and freezes the meat and keeps the blood neat like he's he's got the reverse thing about blood it's like that skeevy he's he like keeps his blood real neat Ugh. that's the creepiest reveal when it goes into like his secret chamber it's the end of episode eight and in a 12 episode season so it's the end of act two right so he you know if the camera's just he hangs up the phone with deb he says, yeah, I'll be overnight. And he walks into his lab and he turns on a buzzsaw and starts to cut the arm of a body and the camera just kind of goes on. Such a creepy moment. One of my favorite of the whole series. I'm not, I get what you're trying to say though. You're trying to make a point that the series well, was at its height the, in season four. Well, I'm also talking about the development of the character was at its height in season four. And that, I did like the religion themes in season six, but I hated Colin, uh, Colin Hanks as a villain was awful. It had a great end when no, Deb no, catching him in the act was great. That redeem the season for me you know i i was ready to give up on dexter and that one moment where she caught him in the act and he says oh god and here's this is what i want to talk about real quick because that was one of the most important moments when they started back i was terrible because he initially i think gives her a bullshit explanation and when we move into the beginning of season seven was yeah um he gives her a bullshit explanation and i was thinking oh god please don't let this drag on for the rest of the season where she's gonna start looking for clues and he's gonna we're gonna step back the whole oh yeah no, just, i agree you know that it was just out there now that he was a serial killer and she turns to him and says are you a serial killer i love that like, thank God. I loved that. That was one of the greatest releases. I got to tell you, I agree. That was a great. I was because yeah, it seemed like they could have gone down the other road of her. Going she says and, straight up, "Are you a serial killer?" Mm-hmm. I loved that, and he says yes. I know. I, I thought that was just a wonderful moment, um, and and a good a, right premise for the rest of the of that. Uh, the last half of the series was just short on moments like that. It was it, it was great with the, one of the best scenes in the whole series was when Deb killed Laguerta. You know, and it. it it made the series worth continuing a little bit, but you know we'll get there. But so let's get there were to, moments. Let's but. get to where the the show ended up in in this final episode because we talked on the day of the episode, and you had come up with a pretty badass way to because we spent weeks talking about well how how do these characters end up? Where can they take them? What what are the options for the the writers? And 
you came up with something that I actually thought worked. For um, a change. You, you, like, you liked my idea for a change. Why, why don't you talk a little bit about the way that you felt that the final episode was going to end? Or yeah, I'd love to. Go? I thought about it forever. I, and I, even though I knew that Dexter wasn't a great series towards the end, what kept me interested was what is the fate of an antihero like this? I mean, that's what's so fascinating about Tony Soprano mm-hmm. and Walter White. You know, how, how do you end this guy's story? Will... Does he deserve to go to jail? I mean, quite arguably, mm-hmm. is that really what we want to see? Is that is that good storytelling? Do we want to see him die? Does he deserve that? Should he get away? You know, it's it's almost like how. And how let me you throw some thoughts out there on that because you know I've talked about this in horror. I think this is true in the same case with these antiheroes. There's only three possible options: evil wins, meaning they get away with it; evil is defeated, meaning they die. Um, although we, there there are variations on that, um, and I think I have a feeling that we will find that that's where my money is for the the conclusion of Breaking Bad. I, but we'll we'll it's not get, worth saying we'll now there. because everybody by the time hears this, that everybody knows. You know, I, I, in any case, we're gonna get the, there. And the third thing is evil is still lurking. Evil is you know, so you sort of you have to fit into one of those boxes, um, or you can leave it somewhat ambiguous. We've talked about that the end of the Supremacy is not ambiguous, supposedly. But no, for well, a lot of America, it was. What I would have done with it, you wanted me to, to say, right? Please go ahead. Yeah, uh, it just jumped out at me that you have to think about Harrison, and that becomes like focal in how mm-hmm. we're going to be able. To, we can't. We won't be able to get away from this if he doesn't do the right thing by the kid, especially after mm-hmm. he's been the top priority. And they right? did set up that this boat was still there, that he couldn't sell the boat. He couldn't find the right buyer Let for it. Let me just tell you, yeah, exactly. Let me touch on like two, three things that why the ending just didn't work pretty much on any level and then the very simple way that I would have ended it instead. First of all, he killed Deb. It, he had one doctor's opinion. She had, She wasn't breathing for like for like who who knows it, it, it had been like an hour according to this one doctor oh yeah yeah no 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 we lost her she'll never eat on her own again he needs to get out of the country so he just kills her that's and he says i'm her brother i can't let her you're a brother you need to stay and make like really see what's going to happen like what if she has a chance i was i was okay with the i was okay with the million dollar baby decision i mean this isn't an incredible were you i you know what it yeah if he's put in that situation but that never even should have happened to deb because a strong character like that with so much of such as the only other solid arc on the whole show what a lame way to leave her like that it's disrespectful to the character i'm gonna agree with you on that i i like deb as a character and did to, not work for me at all i thought to let her to see her ghost because she got sloppy yeah but and then don't tell me for a second that dexter then <laughs> i i only hurt the ones i love don't tell me for a second he couldn't have joined Hannah and Harrison after all that blew over. He couldn't have gone with them. He has to go and be a logger. And if they are indicating at the end that, oh, maybe now now that he's lost everything, he is still a killer after all. Like that, the eye-opening thing only to me could say, like, now that he's lost it all, but he nothing has really changed. He's back to square one kind of thing. He'll kill again. Well, you're not in Miami anymore, home of the serial killer. Now you're at some, like, lumberjacker. We're going to kill some innocent lumberjacker. Yeah, which There's is... There's no code anymore. Like, I mean... Uh, Look, it, just lame. Uh, I thought that it meant that. I thought that that dead look on his face meant that he was back as a serial killer. Yeah, that's what I just said. But who's Although, he going to kill? Who's he going to kill up there? The the writers though, because there's a great interview <laughs> online. If you just look up Dexter finale interview writers or whatever, um, they do uh, um, an interview uh, where the writers talk about how they wanted him to sort of be shut down. 
that that Dexter said in the voiceover for so long, all I wanted was to feel like other people. Now that I do, I just wanted to stop. Yeah, that but article. The, the horrible awareness of what it was to be human and being and how overwhelming that was for him. His punishment is banishment. He sends himself into exile. Killing himself is too easy. When he turns and looks into the camera at the end, everything's stripped away, even his internal monologue, which I, I think is good stuff. Screenplay. Oh, work. so now he'll just kill anybody randomly then maybe is what they're... I mean, I don't even know I what they're getting at. My, so. my point is it's a, a, a ridiculous ending. Why would he leave Harrison with Hannah? I know you argued that maybe... Oh, maybe well, he, that, the entire internet flipped out about that because there... You, you said, oh, well, maybe he identified her. He identified with her so he trusted her. First of all, like I thought... I, the only reason to even bring her back into the story, the way I saw it when she first came back, was, oh, she's going to kill him. Mm-hmm. She's going to warm up to him. They're going to try to escape together. He's going to trust her, which is against the code. Harry will be gone at that point, and then Hannah will kill him the, the second he abandons the and code. And Harrison. Because he'll genuinely be in love, and as it turns out, when he finally is able to be human, that winds up being why he dies. Like that That's why he either gets... That would have worked for me. His humanity... His ultimately his, Look, his humanity I, I, I is his downfall. Tr- I did and not ha- trust That's the Harry was right philosophy because there's a whole faction of people that say harry was wrong harry's a child abuser he could have been reformed that's what charlotte rampling's character was supposed to be about for him for all that half-baked writing the crappy character can we just say though charlotte rampling i mean she played that a- song that she was listening to in the apartment is so ridiculous i was like laughing while she was getting attacked well i mean it's a mama cast song i kind of i dig the song um the yeah i mean i'd like the song but it was just funny like it didn't work that moment didn't work for me at all charlotte rampling this is now the second uh project where she plays a psychiatrist who's supposedly at the top of her field that falls victim to the most obvious you know she started basic instinct too as the woman who basically didn't believe that sharon stone was a killer yeah where she believed she was a killer and was then turned uh, turned out by Sharon Stone because they became lovers. Um, so remind me to put that in my Netflix queue. <laughs> there's there's no actual. Uh, it's it's sort you of have that you have that on beta. <laughs> um, <laughs> Master so now, beta. So, so now the wow that was okay. Um, so, this is like a good was this conservative radio? Like you're just like wow that was what are we on between after the the seven hundred club? <laughs> All right, go ahead. So it seemed to me to be like I didn't love that twist that he turned out to be the the son of Charlotte Rampling. But what I really had an issue with was him leaving Harrison with her because she's a crazy fucking psycho. You killer. said you like you no, said no, you understood it. Maybe you didn't say you like it. I'll give you that. I, you I told me no. Not. He I, you did. You said you said it. You said you identified her. He Dexter identified with her as, and he he realized that this was the kind of person that would protect Harrison under any circumstances. I might have said that that was a, a rationale for it. It doesn't mean that I liked it or agreed with it. I think, and the rest of the internet blew up also with with sort of how could he leave his son with this woman who, if you ask me, if she was you know left in a situation, they they gave the scene in the hospital. See, they did set that up because I was going to say that the the, the argument that she the did was getting make, caught for the kid. The argument that the writers make is that she only kills when she's sort of cornered. The, she only does it for self-preservation. So by going to the hospital, it showed <laughs> that she was willing to go above and beyond I that. I don't think that that action for me personally does enough because it doesn't sort of... Uh, it doesn't put her in that fight or flight. I didn't mode. trust her the whole time. I found her unlikable. I, 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 I get it. Sure, I like that. De- maybe like the idea of Dexter being happy. You know what? Actually, I don't. don't. Maybe on the last episode, make me think about that. 
Don't make me start thinking six episodes in advance whether I want Dexter to be happy, whether I'm happy he's in love. All the all of a sudden, it's not Dexter anymore. It's like General Hospital. What I would have done with the ending anyway, long story short, people, uh, I liked the way Dexter killed Saxon. I thought that was a brilliant scene, and I liked the scene with Dexter, Quinn, and Batista. It was the only way they could have finally gotten them all together without making it so on the nose and them just figuring it out. You got this weird feeling maybe one or two or all three had some idea somewhere in their mind. Which is exactly what weird. the writers wanted. They did talk about they that. They nailed that scene very well. And by the way, it was very well acted by all three people. I thought what was going to happen is maybe Quinn, Quinn's always been on to Dexter. I think maybe he would figure it out, especially after Deb kind of maybe indicated what had happened. Or maybe we don't even see her admit to him about LaGuerta. But the point is that Quinn and Deb are right there to take Harrison and the airports are closed. So Deb, Dexter and Hannah try to take the boat into the storm and escape the country without Harrison. They're going to leave Harrison with Deb, which makes sense, and Quinn, and they're going to have a happy ending. You know what I'm saying? And as far as Dexter's fate, he sails off with Hannah. Is she going to kill him? Maybe. Are they going to die? Maybe. Will they make it? Maybe. But, but that, he leaves it sort of up to the gods, he, and that's he has some type of sense that there's something larger than him now. He may not believe in God, but maybe it, that you can tie in that season six theme where he says, you know, I don't know if I'm a monster or not. Maybe it's not for anyone to judge. Maybe no one knows. I guess if I if I don't they could have played that up that he if I don't he make finally it, was handing himself over to God and saying. Judge God, me, judge me, and as, literally going into the storm is an amazing analogy for that, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, amazing metaphor for that, and then. Just the idea that if he hadn't made it, then he'd wind up in the bay with all his victims. Yeah, that I like. You know? And they could just sail away. And you know what I asked myself as a well, viewer? Sail away, sail away perfect storm style. You're not they're not they're not sailing away into the sunset, they're sailing into Absolutely. And you know what? I asked myself after I thought of that, because I liked that idea right away, and I thought it was simple and made sense on every front, right? I asked myself right away. As a viewer, would I be okay with the ambiguous? Because I don't like ambiguous a lot of times. You know, people argue that The Sopranos, some people say, was a cop-out that ending to not know. But I realize that in this case, I could accept not knowing that it's... it's Maybe I'm not one to judge Dexter either, here's, you know? Here's my problem with it. If you read the article in Entertainment Weekly, it's clear that these writers figured out the end of the show first. They figured out that they wanted Dexter to see himself as a monster and to go off and live basically being banished from society. And what a fucked up Well, it's important to mention, though, that that's not... You know they're not the original showrunners, all of them. It's a new team from the early seasons. Which I don't have any issue with. No, but the original team had... had, You know, one of the writers had his own idea, and he came forward recently, and he he explained in an interview, quite simply, he he admitted finally, now that it's all out, he said what he was going to do. Well, what was he going to do? He said he was going to have Dexter wake up from a series-long dream on the execution table and have all of his victims, the ghosts like of all of his victims there, like what watching him about to, and then he gets executed at the end. Remember uh, the monsters. He just that the idea that de- the whole thing was like him seeing his life flash before his eyes before he gets executed by ghosts. No, he's on the execution table. He's by the law. What, oh, oh, the execution. Oh, he's on I, death I was row. He, he was on Dexter's. Execution. No, 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 no. Just quite simply, he wakes up. He's seen his life flash before his eyes. And that's mm-hmm. what the whole thing is. You know. I don't. I don't. And like all the, the, all the, the people, all his victims are there, and we get the sense. That it, and basically, that that opinion is that you know, 
a guy like this, no matter what he thinks or what we all think, like you can't just we can't just let somebody go around doing that. So yeah, that's that writer's opinion is that yeah he deserved to be executed. I don't think you need to sort of say oh the whole series was a dream or a flashback. He said it was or, like a, yeah he straight up he, he, I think he those, made it I a new heart. Get, yeah a new heart. I think that gets kind of hokey, and I don't think that's necessary. You can make the same argument. You can end in that exact same place without. Um, you can take the episode and the storyline to that place where he ends up on an execution. Would table. you have minded a courtroom season? You want to no. say yeah. I wouldn't have minded it at all as long as you gave him some killing to do while he was on trial, and he has to find a way to kill people while he's on trial. Oh, the ultimate because you have to you have to add the conflict. See, that would have been fascinating. Kept, yeah, um, and let we could really explain. It's almost like they were scared to let it. Plus, I would have liked the slow perp walk where all, Quinn and Batista and they're all just like seeing him get taken in and just can't believe it. Like I would have welcomed that moment. And their worry was that oh, it would what have I'm, implicated I'm, Jen too much, but they killed her anyway. So exactly that what I'm I'm worried about their feelings if they get they're the <laughs> lamest characters ever anyway. Like all I thought we had to hope for with these characters, they'd eventually get to find out. <laughs> That's why I like the idea that Quinn found out and almost approved because he he almost understands this idea that sometimes people just have to do or, other things. Yeah, and that would have been really interesting if he could have found out something. I know that we leave him. No, he was on to Dexter real tight, and it, conveniently he dropped it. And they didn't really bring that he, back because he proposed to Deb and he dropped it, but then De- then it, that fell apart and he just left it alone. I mean, I think we could have picked that up a little bit near the end, and I think especially under sort of different <laughs> scenarios that could have played into it where he decides. Because, you know, as he says to her, she says, I've done things. And the whole idea of Quinn was that he used to be a dirty cop. He was a drug addict. He was banging strippers. And he was a dirty cop uh, who's now reformed himself. So there's sort of that parallel. And it would have been really interesting for him to have made peace with that as understanding of uh, the relationship that he wanted to have with Deb and making that part of the contract that he either had to know or he chose not to know things or, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways you can play that. And, you know, the show, even though it's supposed to be about, like, you know, what humans and monsters and morality, it is a little bit about, like, justice and the justice system. You know, um, you know what I mean? Like, what's what's wrong? What do people deserve? Like, what when is... You know, the idea that Dexter's killing people that probably should be dead anyway. The more you say that, the more that I'm thinking, I kind of wish they had done a trial season. Even though your first instinct is to say, no, don't do a trial. But in this case, like, that's the only way to really get down into the philosophy of it. Well, you know, they ended it at season eight. If they had gone no, into be, season There would be no higher stakes at all. He'd be a national, he'd be a, a, he'd be a celebrity. Which, you know, Blake Snyder says, keep the media out of it. And that kind of kills that rule. But again, that's more of a feature. Ooh, you're holding rule. it out. No, you're holding it out to the last season or the last, like, push. And just like at the end of King of Comedy in the last five minutes, he's, he's famous. And you know, that, but that works as a... You have to just see where it went from there for a second. In mm-hmm. Five minutes, he's famous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I could have definitely gone for a Dexter on trial season. I always kind of thought it would go there, that there would be some sort of discovery. It lost all and its it edge. Just, it, it went nowhere. It went it really, nowhere. You know what? I'm, I'm, the more I think about it, I wish I wish I hadn't done this because it's pissing me off even more. I put eight years into this show. And to see... <laughs> To, to see it end on such a bland note, to see him decide to just go back to being what he was at the beginning, just isn't anywhere near as interesting to me, especially because his sister ended up dead and he ended up leaving his kid with a serial killer. Um, Makes no sense at all. Plus, he could have gone and, and been with his son. And, I'm, I'm just a danger. 
I'm a danger. To, I'm supposed to feel like you did the right thing because you said that. Because I'm just, I only hurt Fuck the ones. Him. Fuck him. You know what? Go take care of your son Go and make him. sure that the serial killer doesn't, the other serial yeah. killer doesn't kill your the kid, son. The kid's supposed to come first. And what, what irritates me is what I was actually thinking when I saw. Oh, and by the way, no mention of Aster and Cody. Poor, like he doesn't give a shit about Rita's kids or anything. Like they don't even come up. He doesn't mention. He doesn't think. Aster and Cody. Oh, there's no time. There's not even that <laughs> moment. Like I did think about that a little bit. I was like, like they're I, waiting for their like Sunday lunch with him. You know, like, or to see their brother. You know, who's probably never gonna who's and disappeared into Argentina. Well, I was thinking about that for a second, but isn't isn't everybody gonna wonder what happened to the baby? But he could have just been on the boat with Dexter. I mean, he's the sole caretaker. What's of? I guess there's nobody left. What's to ask of much questions. more concerned is. I guess, I guess I can buy because the writers in that stupid EW article. I mean, no, I love EW, but the stupid writers go on and on about how we just got to suspend this belief that Dexter could get the body out of the hospital because there was a hurricane coming and everything was shut down. Yeah, absolutely. I could. I'll give you that. I was after, fine with that. I'll give you that after eight years. What about the next morning when the body's missing and they're looking at camera footage? I mean. I don't understand. Was the entire hospital wiped out? They didn't miss her for a couple hours, but notice the sun was shining the next day and Batista, <laughs> Batista's still wearing a hat. You know, everything was back to normal. You know, you're, oh, these are the bodies unaccounted for. Let's like look at the cameras. Like They don't just go, oh, well, we lost a couple in the hurricane. You know, I mean, there's just so many, the whole, after all the, the, the lame season and all I was hoping hoping for with their, that they'd have that one little, little surprise, that little twist for me. Like the optional that was the twist at the end with Dexter being alive. Well, the optional tag could have been that that he and Hannah actually did escape. You could find out like they sail into the storm. You could fade to black and find that they did escape, and then one kills the other. I don't care who. Can I point she out she kills him or he kills no, her? I, you know, no we saw either. we saw. I almost called her Rita, um, Dexter's wife. Um, There's a thing about blondes like Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, I almost you know we saw scenes of her eating sandwiches or making sandwiches and so forth which were supposed to suggest that she was domesticating and capable of being a mother because she can make fucking grilled cheese i guess but what actually what i realized was that we never it's not part of her con her contract is i'm going to be with you dexter and if the kid's part of it so She's be it gorgeous There's but not likable at all why should i root for this stop i i don't know if the fact that you don't find her likable is it's like, relevant. It's like Batman brings a girlfriend along at the last minute. Like, no, 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 what no, is no. it? He doesn't he need to face this battle on his own. Why is it? No. Be? Hannah just no. comes back and now it's all about There's, Hannah. No, actually, I really dig the Hannah thing and we can argue about that. But um, because it gives him an authentic love story in ways that he wasn't able to have in those other seasons with other characters where he was only able to get part of the experience <sighs> of being a human. She comes out of nowhere like Truman's father. She comes out of nowhere like Truman's father. Like Truman's father. Because he's advanced enough that he could potentially be part of a real relationship. So no, I, I disregard that theory or line of argument. Unless she I, was back to kill him, I didn't see the point. Well, by the way, that totally, those two things could have worked in tandem. Um, I would have had no problem if that had been... He breaks the code because he's in love with her kind of thing? Yeah, I would have been good with that. What I didn't see, though, and this is the point I was trying to get to, is that she never accepted Harrison as her own, whereas, like, part... Like, the whole contract was that she was going to be with Dexter and Harrison was going to come with them. Not that she was going to be responsible for him forever, and I don't know if there's even a moment in that season where she... Where she admits that she's willing to be a mother to him. Yeah, and then when, well, I mean, then when, right. 
And then Elway ca- finally catches her after all that, and she just tranquilizes him, and he's just like laying on the bunt. I mean, well, that that's okay. You have because you have to keep right. You have to keep adding the tension and keep providing obstacles to them. And you have to keep bringing all those characters together at the end. So there was nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, you know, a better writer or a more clever writer might have come up with something a little different. It is uh, a little but, tough trying to swallow the episodes like this, like back to back with Breaking Bad episodes. I mean, it's just like ugh, well, Breaking Bad nothing, is a better show. Nothing on Breaking Bad. I guess we better wrap this up, man, because I think, wrap I, I think it up. the episode okay. downloaded. That is that is all we have for you this week. I'm going to record another episode of the official screenwriting podcast a little bit later. After Breaking Bad has concluded, it really is bringing a tear to my eye. I, I can't... I, I don't want it to be over. I find this series like a drug almost, where I, I, I've gone back. I watched the fifth season just to get ready for these new episodes. That's... And I said, well, I should go back and watch a fourth season again. So I did that. And then I said, well, if I'm already and suddenly I'm watching the third season. Yeah, you I... know it has to end. Can't just keep it going. You can keep it going. That's what money is for. And unfortunately, I, <laughs> let me say real quickly. That's what happened with Dexter. And look what happened. Are you kidding? They're doing exactly the right thing. We'll talk a little bit about why Breaking Bad is so awesome on the episode of Breaking Bad. Uh, So that will be... I think I'm going to put them both up this week. You might as well. It's not going to be one episode? Uh, No, these two things. No, because I want people who are into Dexter to have this episode. And if they don't listen to Breaking Bad, they don't have to listen to that episode. Well, because I was just going to say, thanks for having me on. You are... You've been... You're the first guest. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for making things more entertaining and not just... I'm glad you thought so. Maybe you should follow me. I'll listen to your podcast if you follow me at SusMe. I'm and already following. Listen you. to the Bad Signal podcast on iTunes. It's uh, at Bad Signal Show. You can follow us. Uh, we have episodes coming forth. We're going to talk Batfleck and so forth. There's a ton of yeah. Bat, I'll, ton I'll, of I'm going to come on right your now. podcast and we'll talk a little bit about Ben Affleck as Batman. We have to have you because I want to know, for starters, why it would make sense to have an A-list actor in a supporting role in the Superman movie when Superman is Money. B-list actor. Money. But that's I, yeah, I got gotcha, you. But all right, all right. Well, anyway, good times. Breaking good. Bad. Breaking Bad. Let's do it.